Think about this situation for a moment that your entire audience, basically everybody who could engage with your product, with your service, they were all holding on to one set belief that was standing in the way of their success. And it's such a widespread belief that it turns out it's repeated so many times, it's drilled into our brains as children, and you can start to imagine what someone like Christopher Sutton is up against in the journey with his business, Musical You. And before I really set the stage for exactly what Christopher's business is focused on, something that he and his team have been doing since around 2008, 2009, let me read you a quote of his to really kick this off. The science is clear. Talent is a myth. And all the exciting musical skills that people assume require a gift are, in fact, learnable. Every day inside Musical You, we see regular people learning to play by ear, improvise, perform with confidence, jam with others, and start to feel like they are truly a natural in music. So if you haven't yet put the pieces together here, his business is one of teaching ear training, a concept that's most often made use of by musicians, and it's about learning how to play your instrument without the need for sheet music. And what's interesting in this journey is that there's such a widespread opinion about ear training in his industry, mostly for the fact of how, well, others teach it badly, it turns out. <laughs> Though, pay special attention here, because chances are you are not in the same line of business that Christopher Sutton is. No, of course not. Instead, though, what are the automatic beliefs that you are up against inside of your business? What are the perceptions that people are already holding on to? And listen to this question very carefully. What are the belief systems that they are repeating as if they were fact, but it turns out they're not facts? There's an aspect of that in every single one of your businesses out there. And inside of this incredibly rich conversation that you're about to listen into on with me and Christopher, it's where we're going to dive into this idea of exactly, at its core, accelerated learning, which pays special attention toward the end because he actually begins to break down some of the principles that you can use from his musical you system in ways that apply to anything that you want to learn. So as you dive into this one, it's going to be full of references and very valuable details. So I'll make this a bit easier on your side. If you head over to the show notes that we publish over at attractpresoldclients.com forward slash 22, throw in the number 22 at the end of that, it'll bring you directly over there. Because again, to listen to this and go, I don't want to play the piano or the guitar. Not the point. Though if you do, I kind of know a guy who I think would be phenomenal in his team there to help you out in doing that. It's instead to look at it from this angle of what are those automatic belief systems that are there? And as we have this conversation around the theme that I call belief shifting persuasion, how do we ethically guide the audience so that now they are making the decisions and discoveries for themselves? So by the time they hit that specific sales offer, they're already pre-sold. They're already nodding their head in agreement. So here we go. This is Accelerated Learning with Christopher Sutton. Here's the hard truth. People are conditioned to ignore your marketing message. Most of the stuff you'd create doesn't get read, doesn't get watched, and ultimately, nobody buys from it. I'm Jason Lynette, and I'm here to help you stop being the best kept secret to the people you know you can help. 
If you're a business owner and if you're ready to cut through the overwhelm of launching something that creates massive impact and brings in an awesome income, you are in the right place. Welcome to Attract Pre-Sold Clients. Hey there, everybody. We're here with Christopher Sutton. And Christopher, good to have you here. Pleasure to be here, Jason. And uh, tell you what, for those that are not familiar with what you do, could you share a little bit more behind the business that you now run? Sure. So my business is called Musical U with the letter U. There's obviously play on words there. And I'll explain in a moment a bit more about what we do. And that will become obvious why we named it that. But we've been up and running since 2009, I guess. So 14 years or so. And we specialize in helping adult musicians, hobbyists for the most part, online with a particular set of skills that are often neglected in music education otherwise opened up an amazing little loop there, which we now have to dive into, which is what is that specific set of skills? Yeah. So depending on the viewers and listeners background in music, what I'm about to say may be really obvious or really mind blowing, but like 99.9% of music education out there, whether you go to a teacher locally or you learn in a school or conservatory, or you just teach yourself with YouTube videos, it's almost exclusively instrument skills at the end of the day. So your average person thinks, I want to learn guitar. They take some guitar lessons. Maybe they have the wherewithal to learn some music theory. But actually, ultimately, they're just learning the physical technique of playing the instrument. Yeah, kind of like the muscle memory, I think, back to taking piano lessons because I was horrible at soccer. But it was the task of (laughs) having to do the different chords and the different, what do they call arpeggios, the up and down type sequence. Right. And a lot of learning from notation or memorizing like rote learning. And essentially, that's really only a third, maybe two thirds, if you really go into the music theory, maybe two thirds of what you need to be a musician. And most people are just blind to this. They think I'm taking guitar lessons, therefore I'm learning guitar. The reality is that when you picked up the guitar, probably what you wanted to be able to do was just grab your guitar and play anything, anytime, right? And society tells us, culture tells us that you need talent or a gift to really be an amazing musician. Our company is really about filling in that missing piece of those inner skills that let you bring the music out from inside you. So that sounds kind of airy-fairy and romantic, I know. But really that instinct for music that people think you need to be born gifted or talented to have all breaks down to simple learnable skills, which bizarrely 99.9% of the time are not taught. And your average musician or music learner feels like that's their fault. They can't do that stuff because they're not gifted or talented. The reality is they just haven't been taught how to do that stuff. Well, I look at the way that language is most often taught, that in a classroom environment, it's here's the list of the vocabulary words, here's how we break down the grammar, and like we learn to speak, we learn to communicate before we actually go into the classroom and then begin to learn it. Now becomes the place where the rules are then coming in. Here's where that comma goes. Here's when you use this version of the word versus that version of the word. And this is part of the reason why I want to have you on here, because it's a journey with your audience where I'd imagine, or correct me on this one, that they're not necessarily looking for that solution right away. They might be looking for something else. And somewhere in this journey, there has to be this facilitation of a belief shift to introduce this new mechanism, this new way of looking at it, to which what you, you tell us, does it become that moment? Well, 
I think we already have some of the answer because here we are recording and releasing in 2023. The business has been around since 2009. So clearly something's working, <laughs> but it's where in that journey, it's that there's this new model of the world and it kind of makes sense now how perhaps they've been chasing after the wrong pathway. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that very few people wake up and think, I need musicality training, which is what we call what we do. And I heard you speak really well on this on a previous episode around, you know, you can market to pain points or you can market to benefits and there are pros and cons. And for us, certainly because of what I just referred to, like the the world we're operating in, in terms of the existing solutions and society's messaging around musical talent, no one wakes up thinking about the benefits because honestly, that's it just feels impossible for them. Like they might, you know, at the back of their mind, dream of being that free creative improviser or being able to hear a song on the radio and just play it. But it's always that, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I had been born talented. I wish I was like that guy rather than I'm going to go buy a course to learn how to do that. Right. And so a lot of our learning over the years has been, how do we speak to where they are, you know, entering the conversation already going on in their head, that classic rule from copywriting or principle we have to think about, okay, so they're in that world where to them, learning to play an instrument really is just learning to play an instrument. How do we start to open up that new model of the world for them and communicate in a way which doesn't belittle or alienate them or make them feel worse, but does open their mind to a new possibility? And I'm resisting the urge to ask the question the way that I really want to ask this question, which is, could you please go ahead and just teach us everything that you do and how it all works, but just do it in like the next 30 to 40 seconds. So let me use better phrasing here, which would be what's kind of the thumbnail sketch, just so we've got a picture of this in our minds as to what the approach is, what, what are some of those points that have to occur just in terms of the tactics, the mechanics, so that way we've got some context here. Sure. Yeah. So I think... A framework I always come back to these days is Blair Warren's one sentence persuasion framework that I know you're familiar with, where, you know, if we're writing the lead of a sales page or I'm doing a live video or something, I'm always thinking about like, how can we encourage their dreams, allay their fears, excuse their past failures, confirm their suspicions and throw rocks at the enemy? right? And that is a really powerful combo. Like if you can hit all five of those, it really does very quickly shift them into a new way of thinking. So in our case, for example, to make that concrete, we might encourage their dreams by saying, you know, did you know it's actually possible to learn to play by ear? We might allay their fears by being like, and it's not going to take you decades of practice. We might confirm their suspicions by being like, you've always wondered how some people learn ultra fast and can do that stuff, but you can't. Turns out they're doing something that no one's ever taught you. We might excuse their past failures by being like, that's not your fault, by the way. 99% of people out there aren't teaching it. And we might throw rocks at the enemy by being like, stop throwing your money at guitartricks.com or truefire.com. Or and you know not to say anything bad about them, they do what they do right, very yeah. well. But, um, <laughs> throw rocks at we the are existing solutions right now. By the way, just saying, uh, <laughs> just to those specific offices, and uh, they're frowning. And uh, no, they're, they're, yeah, <laughs> and, and so by that point, once we've hit those five points, they may or may not be convinced by any of that yet. 
but they're starting to tune into a new way of thinking and they're then going to be receptive to us expanding on those in more detail and presenting a new solution or a new opportunity. Yeah. And, and in that journey, I think this is going to put some stronger understanding to this too, which, um, well, let's go off of a music reference here, which would be that here is the well-known singer and here's the hit. Here's the one that everyone knows. And then you and I are close in age. So let's go back about 15 25, actually 35 years ago at this point, which is where uh, we would have the cassette, you know, and before that it was the record, not the full one, but the small one, the 45 and the language of the B-side, you know, the song that here was the major hit, you know, okay, so let's take an easy reference here. Here were those top 40 songs that the Beatles brought to number one. And then here's the one that, you know, that album, you know, this amazing song. Yeah. The one after that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that song. Uh, could you give us an example, though, of some of the messaging that you know might have been at one point the B-side, the thing that was tested and it was just the clarity as to this didn't land, this did not fix, this did not work in the way that we wanted. But then from there, through the workshopping of it, here's what it then became. Sure. Yeah. So we actually have a, a really good meta example of that in the sense that our whole business and our whole messaging and our whole positioning in the market was wrong to begin with, or was fatally flawed <laughs> to begin with. So, then so in what 2009, was it, what was it before? Yeah. So in 2009, the company wasn't Musical U, it was Easy Ear Training. And my thinking was, I like I had spent 20 years learning music, just being given those instrument skills, thinking I wasn't talented eventually discovered there was this thing called ear training that could deliver some of that for me. I got super excited. Company came out of that. But for mm, six years, the company was easy ear training. The brand was easy ear training. The products were ear training products. And I realized very quickly, but took a long time to do anything about the fact that most musicians at that time hadn't heard of ear training. If they were in a conservatory, they would have. Most people wouldn't have. The internet wasn't what it is today, and the information wasn't that widely available. Most people hadn't heard of it. Those who had heard of it really hated it because the existing solutions were terrible. And so I was positioning the whole company, the whole brand, the whole product line as we are a better version of this thing you've never heard of or hate. (laughs) And that was a hard slog. And really, the improvement in the messaging was... What what I would now call category design was to say, we're not doing ear training, we're doing this other thing, musicality training, and really doubling down on that. And, you know, we weren't the first people to use the word musicality for sure, but we did come to kind of own it in our space and talk about what we do in those terms where ear training is a piece of it. So we can still speak to that and throw rocks at the existing solutions, but really our the opportunity we're presenting people with is a new opportunity. It's this is the missing piece. You've never heard of it. You've never tried it. We are the leading provider of it. Why don't you come over here? The water's nice. So that was like a, a global messaging shift that really had a big yeah. impact for us. That's that's really great to hear because it's this clear example of where, you know, we, we can talk about it here in terms of that's like a middle of funnel messaging concept where we're calling out the thing, we're calling out the category to which, um, well, you tell me on this one, the seasoned performer, the professional musician who would already know that term and perhaps already have a positive connotation of ear training, is that typically your client? It is one of our 
avatars, yeah. I would say. So we certainly mm -hmm. serve those people. You wouldn't believe the number of people who come to us and they are a Berkeley graduate and they say, I spent three years doing ear training there. I either failed it or I hated it and I still can't do the things I thought it would deliver for me. And I should be more careful naming names. Again, these people do what they do very well. <laughs> Just to me, there is a missing piece and to a lot of their well, students. I, I go, I share a quick personal anecdote here, which is that my background working in professional theater and it was working as the stage manager and stage managing a production of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar and small group of musicians in the pit for this live musical where we had the person on the piano, someone on guitar, someone on drums, and someone kind of in a switch hitter role just based on the specific songs. And the musical director, who was also the one on piano kind of conducting the others, comes to me after the performance one night and goes, hey, how'd that go tonight? like, oh, fine. Any reason why? Oh, just things were a bit off in the uh, music today. It's like, what do you mean? Did someone have to sub in? Because that was a standard thing in that time. He goes, no, I just left the book at home. Luckily, this musical is basically four songs looped over each other over and over. And I figured if I can just hit the same chords, I'll figure it out as we go just by listening to the others because they've got the sheet music. Like, don't ever tell me that again. <laughs> so it's that yeah, I flash back to my piano years, which was, I really want to learn this song, but they haven't put out the sheet music yet. And that's good to hear that there's different layers, there's different sophistication levels within that audience there. Yeah, and so the bulk of our customers at this point would be what I would call hobbyist musicians. So they might have been playing mm -hmm. for a few months, up to a few decades, but it's a pastime for them, it's not their career. But then there's also that dimension of their background where, like you say, a lot of people are or would consider themselves sheet music musicians. So whether it's chord charts or tab or traditional notation, if they want to play something, they have to go and look for the dots on the page to tell them what notes to hit. There's also this whole group, and it varies a bit by genre, but there's a generally smaller group of ear musicians by ear. And they would never look at the sheet music. They may not even read music. They would always do it by ear. What's fascinating is that both of those groups really envy the other and have a bit of an inferiority complex about it. And our positioning is very much like, do both. Like, it's not either or. You should be able to do both of these. You will be most fulfilled and satisfied when you can do both of these. And so we have to massage the messaging a little, but ultimately that, that new opportunity framing really helps us because to either of those groups, if we talk about musicality training, they're like, oh, what's that? And they can then relate to it in their own way. And even, you know, the conservatory grad who's done ear training, they come across musicality training. It's enough of a difference to make them tune in and see, oh, that bit I can relate to. I've done that before, but oh, that the way they talk about that is quite different. That's interesting. And so it really is not a panacea, but it's a really powerful thing to get that positioning right in a way that can appeal to different market segments. Yeah. And th there's an aspect of this that I'm resisting the urge to paraphrase badly, which means I now have to do that, which is the discovery was they don't want ear training, but the reason why they didn't want it was because they had a perception as to what that was. So it had to be, here's this new opportunity coming in. What does that do? It basically teaches something that includes an aspect of ear training. Let's phrase it that way I'm seeing here. And th that journey of getting to that place, can you walk us through what, what was kind of going on in that epiphany structure where suddenly it was, we've got to change the top of funnel messaging. We've got to change the way that people are interacting with this at the start. 
Yeah, I think for context, like I'm, even though I run a music company, I'm very much a scientific engineering type person by background. And I would love to tell you it was through endless split testing of headlines and, you know, really being super smart about copywriting and thoughtful about it. The reality is it was very much product led. So Mm -hmm. by putting things out there, seeing how people experience them and seeing how we had to change them to get better results, that then fed back into the messaging. So one way of putting it is that by 2015, what we were doing inside our membership site was so different to traditional ear training, it felt bizarre to still be framing it like that. And so I think that's what made me want to rebrand and reposition and change the terminology was it wasn't so much this is how to communicate with the market. It was more, we're not actually doing that other thing. Let's just be upfront about that. And then on the back of that, we figured out the messaging and the copywriting side and the positioning and so on. But it was very much led by the solution rather than the marketing. My my version of that is that uh, attract pre-sold clients was the subtitle of what I've done for the longest time. And one reason, which I feel that you and I are going to bond over in many more ways, which is that the website wasn't available, so I didn't lead with that. (laughs) So it was something else. It was something else. Then it was hypnotic influence for premium sales. And even that's a quick example that in the consulting space, high ticket is a commonly used phrase, though it's become one that there are some who that's their only message. That's their only thing. And there's this trend of some who were selling high ticket because they wanted to get paid for high ticket, but did not want to deliver high ticket. Stop smiling that big at that one, dude. (laughs) I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. I could feel the PSD just coming through the the lens here. Um, No, but we find this place where it had to be branded as something else. And that's why I went after premium sales being the phrase. What's that? Basically high ticket. (laughs) But it allowed me the opportunity to go, well, see, here's the thing. High tickets relative. You know, it's where I would consider the price point of something that we do is high ticket. And yet this other market says, oh, that's mid ticket. And it's the getting caught up in the semantics type thing. And then suddenly the gods of the Internet opened up and the domain was available and it was, oh, wait, the subtitles. Now the title. And thank you for sharing it that way, because it's so often people find themselves in that pattern of trying to defend the message, trying to fight after it. And not to oversimplify it, but sometimes it is that matter of changing the way we speak about it. Yeah. And I look at how we we had a person we were working with at one point that is a technique out of um, therapeutic styles called EFT, emotional freedom technique. Great technique, incredible research around it. And usually I would hear this and go, okay, how often is that actually true? How often have you truly found to be that the case? And because it was such a sub-market inside of a sub-market inside of a sub-market, it kind of had become the joke of that industry because it turns out people were just teaching it badly. So the simple shift was kind of to mirror what you just shared, that it became the next step of this journey is the energetic reset. Mm. What's that? It's the process of tapping into this proven energy system within the body based upon Chinese medicine to create a better sense of balance and measure an instant change. And the oh wow that came out of her interactions was that, uh, oh, is that like EFT? And her answer just was this foot in the ground moment of just, 
damn, that's good. <laughs> Which was, well, no, it's not like EFT because it actually is EFT. EFT was based upon this other methodology called thought field therapy. There were six original students of that. I was one of them. And there's not just one pattern. There's all these different, they're called algorithms of the tapping sequences. So it's where I've seen people struggle at points around, let's put it this way, um, titles or segments of what they do, where it's easy for the audience to have a understanding as to, oh, I've heard of emotional intelligence. I know what that is. It's where, it's out of frame on my camera here for the video side of this, we've got the uh, trademark for hypnotic language hacks. But as soon as I started leaning into that messaging, it was, there was an audience that was going, I know what that is. I already know that. Or I've tried that before. That didn't work, which kind of leads to the question of what are some of those shifts that have to occur, let's say in the mind, the imagination and the heart of your audience so that by the time they eventually then see, here's what the opportunity is, they're already nodding in agreement. They're already moving forward. Sure. Yeah. And just before answering that, I, I want to call out like one thing I really love about you and the work you do is the the values behind how you use the techniques you teach. Because, you know, you said something in passing there where, you know, we, we call it premium selling rather than high ticket coaching, but it's high ticket coaching. There are people who would like make that shift to trick people or deceive people and they think they were really clever about it. But hopefully it's clear to anyone watching or listening, like, this is really about serving the client or customer. It's about sidestepping the landmines or barriers that might otherwise be in the way of them having great success. And to me, that that's always the beauty of marketing when it's done well, is it's, it is very clever and it is very psychological, but it's always done in that spirit of coaching or service or enabling the person to make a smarter choice. And it, you know, in an ideal world, <laughs> I was definitely naive when I started and very much that product oriented, if you build it, they will come mentality. If I make the thing good enough, I won't yeah. need to learn marketing. That was a big mistake. <laughs> uh, but, but that idea was coming from a place of, I shouldn't have to explain why it's so good. I shouldn't have to persuade yeah. anyone. It should stand on its own ground that's not the world we live in, unfortunately, and everyone's coming with their own baggage, which I guess kind of comes to your point. For us, there's an awful lot of limiting beliefs at play. And some of those are inherited at a society level, and some are individual. It's been really fascinating for us getting into that premium selling slash high ticket coaching in the last year. And that sales process where we really get to go in depth for a couple of hours with someone on the phone learning their backstory and talking through it with them and coaching that decision-making. It's been really fascinating seeing the layer upon layer of barriers that will be thrown up just based on people's past experiences and beliefs. And again, like we're not there to try and trick them or even persuade them, I would say. It's really just about leading them through dismantling some of that architecture that is preventing them from the success they could be having. And a lot of the time, you know, by the towards the end of the sales process, it genuinely is the case that they can go with us or they can not go with us, but we've done them a service in the passage of that conversation. And we have people telling us that, like even those who don't go ahead, they're like, that was a really powerful conversation. Thank you. Like I finally understand, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I I think I'm sure you encounter the same in your world, but 
often there are very deep-rooted beliefs that are either untrue or very much open to interpretation. So like I said, some are societal. For us, it's this talent myth. And, you know, for anyone not aware, the research on this is very clear. Like there's a whole body of scientific research going back a couple of decades that basically shows almost anything we associate with talent is learnable. And it has been learned by those who appear to be prodigies. They were doing what they do in a different way that led them to the greater skills. And there's some evidence that people early in childhood might have more of an inclination to a certain thing, such as music or sports or um, stage presence and acting. But it's very much a small head start that then gets compounded because they like it and they enjoy it and they do well, so they do it more and more. And there's basically no evidence that you can't achieve anything you want to. You can't learn anything you want to, with the small exception of physical traits, like if you're not such and such height, you're probably not going to be in the NBA. Like that kind of physical limitation, I will admit, is <laughs> is still a thing. Apart from that, I, I will call it the talent myth because it has been proven to be such. So that's a big one for us is whether it's on the creative side of things and talking about like songwriting and, you know, you don't need a muse, you don't need a gift for creative music making or improvisation. It's not magic that they can just conjure up the notes out of nowhere. Or actually the other body of what we do is accelerated learning techniques. So what we would brand as super learning, all of this scientific research backed methodology around, okay, you're going to sit down for 20 minutes to practice your instrument Again, 99% of what you'll find out there, 99% of the teachers, courses, instructors, DIY stuff, it's going to tell you basically brute force. Like, try the thing, mm -hmm. fail. Try it again, fail. Get a little bit faster, make fewer mistakes, bash your head against it enough, you'll eventually crack it. There are better ways. <laughs> and the research into talent has basically given us a whole set of tools and techniques to learn ultra fast whether that's memorizing facts and figures or it's learning the physical skills of an instrument, there are better methods. So in that context, we have to really communicate that to them and point out the ridiculousness of just bashing your head against it in the same way when there might be a smarter brain science-based method available. So those are kind of the, the global ones we're dealing with. And then there's the whole personal background side of things where, you know, the the canonical case in point for us is tone deafness, where if someone at age six gets called up on stage at school to audition for the choir and they sing slightly out of tune, they're told, oh, you can't sing, you're tone deaf, you don't make it into choir. They then spend the next five decades thinking they're not musical or they can't sing and they carry that baggage with them. And again, the reality is no one taught them to sing. <laughs> it, it might seem like a natural mm -hmm. talent, but it's not. So, you know, for us, it's the combination of the global stuff that basically every musician and music learner is bringing to the table with them and the very personal side that goes down to their backstory and their experience of music growing up. I'm going to encourage everybody to go back and just rewind. I think it was like three or four minutes there and listen to everything that Christopher just said there, because it'd be easy. And this is highlighting the fact that for everything we do, there's always a content aspect of it, which clearly that was in the content structure of learning something beautifully called musicality, of course. And then from there, there's the context of what else is going on. And it's this natural, I hate to put the word cynicism on it, but it's this natural, yeah, but that just becomes so second nature to us. We had somebody that 
she was promoting an event online. And all I said was, hey, just in the messaging, just as you're promoting this, test occasionally not calling out that it's going to happen on Wednesday, November 29th at this specific time, because there's an audience out there that's going to see that date and go, oh, but on Wednesdays I do this. I can't do that. And we'll just bow out at that point, which then she also had other services. So if it led to a book a call sequence, it could have been, oh, well, the best thing we've got for that is this other option instead. I've, I've heard it before in like sales trainings, and it's often from more of a challenging and more aggressive way of looking at it. Oh, the process doesn't begin until you get a no. I've heard, um, uh, you've been there too. <laughs> I've heard where, you know, my group of therapists and coaches, counselors that I speak to, oh, if somebody calls you up and the first thing they're asking is how many sessions and how much is it, there's no point in talking to those people. They're bargain shoppers, they're tire kickers. And I'm thinking, what the hell else are you going to ask? You know, I that's not my expertise, but everything that you just said there is this masterclass of diving into what are those automatic beliefs that are either pre-programmed or self-inflicted that have become that model of the world. You know, it's where I have to keep throwing in the tagline, even if you're not a computer person. And because we are easy to blame the other thing. So is that something that came naturally to you in this journey? Or is it again, the by doing it and seeing what stuck and what didn't work, that's what revealed it? I think... Definitely not the former, more the latter. I would say yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I was brilliant back then. I just discovered later on why I was brilliant. And how I was talented. Are you paying attention? Yeah. Yes. Um, no, yeah. I, it's funny. Like there's this false dichotomy between sales and marketing, right? And the sales guys will tell you that marketing is just salesmanship in print. And if you really want to know marketing, you've got to do sales. And I was always skeptical of that because I'm a writer more than I'm a speaker. And I really enjoyed copywriting. And I would say we got pretty good at it just through marketing, as it were. I wish we had done more sales sooner. And I did have the sense, like I came from the product background. So I had the sense to do customer interviews early on, particularly around that rebranding time. So I was talking to people and feeling out some of these false beliefs and how to discuss them. But really, in the last year, like I have been doing a lot of those phone sales, like the second call anyway, myself, that's been a learning curve, but it is a masterclass in understanding those layers. And, you know, objection handling is kind of a technical and can, as you say, be a bit of an aggressive term. It's like, I'm going to crush those objections. Like that's, that's not really what we're trying to do, but teasing that out and really being curious and coaching the decision-making it uncovers these things and you through trial and error have no choice, but to find out how to best address them. And so that's now feeding back into our marketing as it were. But I, again, I wish we had done more of that person to person sales a lot sooner because we could have shortcut the learning curve an awful lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that power of getting that feedback, actually hearing it in real time and, I, the, the experience where sometimes we say it this way and the eyes are blinking and they're just confused and we say it this other way and everybody in the room is leaning in and nodding and it's the, I wish I found this sooner. Uh, how, how much of your world of, let's say with the musicians, is kind of 
this is the thing I often see even for business owners, where we run into this scenario that, well, that's just how you do it. We're standing upon the tradition of how others did it. Um, you know, for some businesses, it's the, oh, you got successful too quickly. You need to do this. You need to do this. You got to pay your dues. And there often is this mentality as to that's just how it's done. You know, in, in one of my spaces, I have a little insight, helpfully, which is that uh, the word hypnosis didn't really appear until 1875. So if that word is only 150 years old, we can't be saying that's how we've always done it. And just somehow that little bit of logic just created waves. And it was the, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Though when you when you run into that sort of dogmatic approach to things and there is a journey of, let's say, if it is that professional musician, musician they were following the standard track and then all of a sudden here's another pathway is there what's part of that emotional journey that you've noticed on the let's say the client side with that yeah i think i love the way you phrased it there of oh yeah that makes sense like that's what we're always reaching for right particularly if we're getting into this stuff around mechanism or messaging or positioning it's like what is what's the little foothold we can get in their worldview that lets us just open a new way of thinking about it and for us, I think it it comes back to two of those five things we talked about earlier of like excusing their past failures and confirming their suspicions where we have to be a bit careful about it. But to put it bluntly, we want to show them the easy button, right? Because particularly for hobbyists, they just want it to be easy. They're doing it for fun. They just want the rapid progress without the effort. And we all do, to be clear. There's no judgment there. <laughs> if, it, if it's possible, we want it. And so for us, it's always that delicate balance of presenting them with that new opportunity as this is going to be super simple and not overnight success, but much better than anything you've tried before. But then backing that up with an explanation that holds water. So particularly in the online realm, and I would say to a moderate degree in our industry, it's not the worst for this, but there is a certain amount of snake oil stuff out there where there's people promising wild results that they can't deliver on. Obviously, certain industries and sectors are really bad for that. Ours is not too bad. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of skepticism people are coming to the table with. So we can get their attention with, you can improvise a week from now, or we can help you learn music two to five to ten times faster we then very quickly have to back that up with, and here's why you might have wondered about this in the past, like how do these prodigies do it or why were they born gifted and I wasn't? Actually, here's what's going on. And so it's that combination of the emotional, I want that with the logical, and here's why it's realistic for me to believe it's possible that we're always trying to find in our messaging. Yeah, love every bit of this. And thank you again for coming on. There's two final things I want to chat about. Uh, first of all, where can people find you online? How can they learn? Sure. More? So our website is musical-u, the letter u.com. And that's where you'll find our podcast and our resources and all that good stuff. Cool. And then you brought up a theme earlier, which I feel could be a whole other conversation here. Yet it's one that I love the balance as to how, like, here's the emotional outcome, but also here's the logic to back it up. Here's the statement. It's not just about talent. And that's the thing that could be easy to say, but then here's the research that backs it up. If you had to kind of break down some of your biggest takeaways around how to accelerate learning, what would that be? 
As in how how listeners okay. and viewers teach, can teach learn everything in the next thirty seconds. <laughs> oh sure. Yeah. What yeah. is it that you found often shortcuts that pathway and makes that learning happen? Sure. Easier? So the the keyword to Google for would be deliberate practice, which in our world we would describe as plan, play, reflect. So traditional practice has you plan and play and plan and play. So I'm going to try my G major scale. I'll play it. I'll try my G major scale. I'll play it. And adding in that third step of reflecting means I'm going to take a moment and be like, oh, I played that note wrong. What could I do differently next time to try and address that? So it becomes this feedback loop with experimentation. And that is the you know overarching meta principle of all the accelerated learning stuff is that reflective process that lets you be your own best teacher. And it it comes with a whole wodge of specific tactical stuff. So the other keyword phrase you could look up would be contextual interference. And this is the idea that the brain, due to, you know, biological evolutionary reasons, likes to switch off as much as possible. And the traditional practice methods basically make your brain switch off most of the time. So whether you're studying for an algebra test, or you're trying to memorize a script for a play, or you're learning music, if you keep doing it in the same way, the brain is kind of like, oh, yeah, I know what we're doing, I'll just go through the motions. Contextual interference is about intentionally making things different or more complicated or more strange for yourself because it forces the brain to pay full attention. And to be clear, this is exhausting. Like a 20-minute super learning session is much more tiring than a 20-minute standard practice session, but you get 10 times the results, so it's worth it. And that kind of contextual interference is, again, like a whole toolkit of things you can do. They're domain-specific, so we have music-related ones, but you can do it in any context. One general example I like to give is if you're trying to learn something or memorize something and you always do it in the same spot, sat in the same chair, just go do it somewhere else. And that little change, believe it or not, actually just wakes your brain up a little bit more and makes sure that the time you're putting into learning actually delivers more results. That's the learning related stuff. I just want to flag there is a whole body of stuff around memorization too. So if you're specifically trying to learn stuff by rote, again, whether it's a script or it's facts or it's techniques, spaced repetition is the keyword phrase to Google there. And there are subtleties and there are depths to it. But the basic principle, again, really is that tradition will tell you to brute force it. If I keep practicing it, the more I practice it, the better it'll get into my memory. That kind of works for short-term memory. It's not great for long-term memory. Spaced repetition, which is it's become really popular and fairly mainstream in language learning, but not outside of that. It's about saying, if we're thoughtful about the delay between each repetition, that actually can leverage the processes going on biologically in the brain to let it transfer from short-term to long-term. And then the final keyword phrase to give you would just be retrieval practice, where the big insight is that getting stuff into your brain is actually very different from getting stuff out of your brain. And memorization just says, I'm trying to memorize it, I'm trying to memorize it, and now I need it. Oh, is it there or not? I don't know. Retrieval practice is around saying, no, it's a skill to bring it back out. And so if we can design our memorization process to leverage that spaced repetition, as well as acknowledging that's a different skill to put it in versus to bring it out, that's what enables you to memorize stuff and retain it long-term a lot more easily. Thank you for listening to Attract Pre-Sold Clients, where you get strategies proven to work in businesses around the world. I'm Jason Lynette, and if you're ready to crush the confusion of what to say and how to say it to consistently attract your dream clients, check out our free resources today at attractpresoldclients.com. <laughs>